Now today, um, we're going to look at uh, what I think personally is one of the great complete sections in the book of Proverbs. You know, Proverbs is a very unique book, and sometimes, if you remember how we have studied it, uh, sometimes we go through uh, just one verse at a time, and we focus on that. We've done that a lot, where we've just taken one verse for the whole day. Sometimes we'll maybe go through, through two or three verses and, and talk about that. Each one will have a particular different aspect that we want to look at. Sometimes we have looked at verses that I told you were what I call contrasting verses. The first part of the verse will be something positive, then the second part will be something that is negative. But then sometimes in the book of Proverbs you'll find uh, a complete set of verses, four, five, six verses that uh, will be um, toward the same subject and they'll be very powerful. Uh, They'll be very uh, pointed and, and things that really will... Uh, help us. And uh, I want to read today for you Proverbs chapter 22, and we're going to be in verse 17, and then we're going to come on down through it here. It says, Bow down thine ear, and hear the words of the wise, and apply thine heart unto my knowledge. For it is a pleasant thing if thou wilt keep them within thee, they shall withal be fitted in thy lips." That, they, that thy trust may be in the Lord, I have made known to thee this day, even to thee. Have not I written to thee excellent things and counsels and knowledge, that I might make thee to know the certainty of the words of truth, that thou mightest answer the words of truth to them that send unto thee. Joe Christensen, would you stand up and ask God's blessing on the service this morning for me, please? Amen. Now, to me, this has always been a very powerful, personal uh, proverb to me. Uh, there's several in the book of Proverbs that, uh, that I would classify as my favorite. Uh, another one that I really like, and we talked about it when we first started Proverbs, was found over in Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And in that one, if you probably won't remember, but I, I showed you the six things that if we do them, that the Bible says that we will find the knowledge of God. And truthfully, you know, the key to all of our lives is to find out the knowledge of God and, and make it close to our hearts. And there are places in Proverbs where it just really lays itself out in, in, in passages like this. And here's another one today that is built around the Word of God that God has given us, and it's a quite incredible and a very personal proverb uh, and a very powerful one. And, and I, I just love places like this in the Bible. Now, in these five verses, just to kind of set the stage here, we'll deal with the same context that uh, we've been dealing with uh, uh, all through here the last couple of weeks, and that is how that the Word of God was preserved for you. And it was preserved for you so it could preserve you and your family and uh, all the things of your life, your ministry, and uh, all of the things that are important to us. And how that the Word of God will impact our lives if we'll allow it to. It's been said, and it's true, 
that the Bible impacted and changed the world. And there's no truer statement than that. Nothing has impacted and changed the world more than the Word of God. But along with that, I want you to understand, the only way that the Bible impacted and changed the world was because of the Bible impacted and changed man. The heart of man was changed and the world was changed. And that is so true and a very key thing you want to learn this morning. Wherever you're at in life, it'll never change until the Word of God changes you. When it impacts you, it'll impact your family, it'll impact your marriage, it'll impact your job, it'll impact everything in your life. And that is, that is the great message that comes out of all of this today. And this passage that we're going to look in, just kind of laying it out before we kind of get into each verse, there, uh, there'll be seven key areas of the Word of God in our life that we will look at today and we're going to talk about today. First off, it talks about the words of the wise in verse 17. And, uh, you know, everybody, uh, everybody in life listens to somebody. I've never met a person in my life who goes through their whole life and just figures things out themselves. They'll read other people's books. Obviously, when you go to school, you get taught, you get trained. Everything about life for us is learning much of it from what somebody else tells us. The real case or the real issue is, are they the words of the wise? That's the most important thing. The next thing he will talk about coming through here are excellent things. There's some excellent things that God has for you and for me. The third thing we'll look at is counsels. Who you listen to, what you take from them to do with in your life. The fourth thing, and found in verse 20, will be the word knowledge. What you know, what you believe in, what you hold to. The fifth thing, in verse 21, will be the words of truth. But as we go down through verse 20, uh, 21 here, uh, it's not just the words of truth, but he says this, and this is the sixth thing. He says, the words of truth that are certain. Are you certain that you have the word of truth in your life? That's the number one absolute most important key in your whole life. Are you certain with what you have? Are you certain where you're going in life is the right direction? Are you certain where you're at with your own relationship with God? Are you certain based on the words that God has given us, the words of truth that are certain? And then finally, the seventh thing, verse 21, is that all of this is to prepare us that we have the truth to give the people who uh, are, are looking for it. And, um, you know, within these five verses, you'll find the simple a uh, key reason for learning the Bible and getting it down. Why? Why Why are we doing what we do? Why do we have Bible Institute? Why do we have Yes to the People Ministry? Why do we have Thursday night Bible study? Why do we meet on Sunday morning? Why do you get disciples, one and two? Why? And, of course, the answer to that is because God has called you. If you're a saved man or woman this morning, God has a calling for you. And the Bible says all things work together for our good to them who are the called according to his purpose. God has a purpose in life and he wants his purpose to become your purpose. So he saves you, then he calls you to that purpose. And what we do with the Bible, the calling of God in our life, uh, being called uh, to God's purpose depends on what you do with the word of God. You know, I, I, I know everybody would agree probably on this this morning and what I'm about to say. And that is that we live in a world of uncertainty. We really do. There is absolutely nothing for sure 
that we can believe or trust in in the world today. Uh, it's, it's one of the most horrendous, uncertain un, 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 times that probably in the history of the world. And yet when it comes to the Word of God, it's the only sure thing that you and I have. And this is why we preach it. This is why we teach it. This is why we, we put everything that we do uh, within the confines of the Word of God. And, you know, as you just kind of scan through the Bible, we talk about sure things and what's sure in life in a world where there's nothing sure. Uh, you'll find that just a brief scan of the Bible talks about six things that, that you can be sure of. He talks about in Proverbs eleven eighteen that uh, there is a sure reward for, uh, for the righteous. He said in Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16, uh, that uh, we could have a sure foundation. And of course, that sure foundation is the day you got saved, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. No other foundation can be laid, which is Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 32, verse 18, uh, says that uh, we can have a quiet and a sure dwelling. That's your home. That's your family. That says that your family in a world where kids are dying and going to hell and and, and parents are losing their kids left and right, it says that you can have a sure and quiet dwelling. And of course, we talked about that in the process in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. Daniel chapter 2, verse 45, talks about that we can have a sure interpretation of the Word of God. Daniel is a type of the Holy Spirit of God. He interprets the dreams of Nebuchadnezzar and gives them the sure meaning of those dreams. And the Holy Spirit of God will interpret the Word of God for you through the book, and you'll get a sure interpretation of that. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 19 and 20 talks about the sure word of prophecy, that you have a Bible that is absolutely, uh, you can trust in and everything in it. And then finally, Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 10 talks about the fact that we have a sure calling. If you're saved here this morning, you can be sure not only of these other five things, but you can be sure of this. You can be sure God has called you. You may never answer the call. You may do nothing with it. But I am sure this morning, if you're saved, that he's called you for his purpose. Yet in most cases, and I find this to be true, in most cases, the very things that God tells us that are vital and important will be the very things that, that, that we ignore. I, I've seen it all in my life. Now, I, you know, I put you guys, for the most part, in a special class, classification. You're not like most Christians. Uh, you do something. The majority of you will do something with the Word of God. The majority of you have allowed the Word of God to change your life and impact your life. And I have no arguments with you. I really don't. But I'm preaching the book of Proverbs. So, uh, you know, if, if, if it fits in your world, that's fine. But in most cases, many of you, most of you are already doing what you need to do. But it is so true that the very things that God says are so important are the things that we just kind of ignore. And I know that you're here and you're learning and, and you're, you're in a process of learning. And as you learn these things, then you'll make these things important to you. But you know, the Bible says that in the Word of God, there's, step, there's seven things the Bible says that we are not to be ignorant of as God's people. And yet, you know what? Those are the seven things that you couldn't find a child of God probably, other than maybe here, that even knew what those seven things are. The Bible says there's seven things after salvation we are add to our faith. And yet we never do it. And most of God's people have no clue. 
The Bible talks about seven things a Christian has to prove. And the average Christian, you know how important that is? And the average Christian doesn't even have an understanding of that. Bible talks about seven things that God hates. Oh, here's a good one. The seven things that God hates in many cases are the very things that God's people love. And yet the Bible says there are seven things that God loves. And again, to the majority of God's people, those are the things that they hate. I mean, it's no wonder. Giving, understanding this and realizing that this is where we are at today. It's no wonder that we are in the mess that we are in. And the real tragedy or joke within the body of Christ, God's people, for many of them, is they have no clue of what I just said. I'm over there in Acts chapter 17, verse 23. Paul says he, uh, he walked by the, the Athenians in there in their temple. And he said, I heard their devotions. And there was, a, there was a sign that said to the great unknown God. Well, I want to tell you something. That is true in our lives today as God's people. I believe that most of God's people are probably saved. I believe that they are uh, going to go to heaven. I believe that they, they, uh, they have some kind of relationship with God. But I also believe that they don't have any understanding of who God really is and what he expects of them, or they wouldn't find themselves in these situations that we're in. Now, let's begin in verse 17, and we want to work our way through this. I want to help you today. You may be here in some deep trials and some deep troubles. You may be here that your marriage is on the rocks or you're in a very bad relationship. Or in your own personal life, you're just struggling. You may be struggling with your children. You may be struggling with your own personal issues. And I I want you to see out of this as we walk our way through these verses. I want to show you some great things about how the Word of God will change your life. How it will impact your life. Very frankly... This could be the beginning of the day of your life when things begin to turn around. If you'll just follow what God says. Now he says in verse 17, Bow down thy ear and hear the words of the wise, and apply thine heart unto my knowledge. Now, first of all, I want to look at the phrase, bow down. If you're going to ever get anything from God, you're going to have to humble yourself before the word of God. To bow down would suggest a position of your attitude, a heart of humility toward God and His Word. Submitting yourself totally to it. You know, back in Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, I told you that was a great personal passage for me too. And it talks about the six things that you have to do to get the knowledge of God. And one of the things there in Proverbs 2, 2, it says, it says to learn the book, we have to incline our ear unto wisdom. You have to get down where it's at. And when it comes to learning the Bible, when it comes to making your calling sure, the dumber you are, the better off you are. You want to come to the place where you just trust God at face value without trying to figure out, reason out, and come to all these great conclusions that you can figure God out. You just trust Him by faith. It's never your... It's never your aptitude that develops your uh, altitude with God, but rather it's your attitude. And when you come to God, and you come to God with a, with a, with a bow-down spirit, 
If you're ever going to get this book down and it's going to impact your life, it's going to be based on the position of your heart about it, that'll be everything. Every time you come to that book, you have to come to it like you don't know anything. The more I've been in it for 47 years, I can write volumes about the things that I don't know. And every time I open it up, it just shows me how much I don't know about it. And when it comes to that book and I'm receiving it, you have to receive it as the Word of God that will work in you and change you and impact you. First Thessalonians 2, 13 says, For when you receive the Word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the Word of men, but as it is in truth, the Word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. If the Bible is going to impact our lives, if the Bible is going to change who we are, then we have to allow it from the inside to effectively work in us. And that's a great question. What exactly does that mean? How does the Word of God, it's a book, how does the Word of God work in you? I'm going to answer that question as we go through here today. When it comes to you and me learning that book and hearing the words of the wise, uh, you have to be willing to dump and throw away anything that you believe that doesn't line up with the book. You know that's the number one problem that people have that stops the work of the book impacting their lives? They want to change. They don't like the situation they're in. They don't like all the things that are going on, but they're not willing to get rid of everything they have to get rid of so a book can come in and do its work and change them. And the Bible says, how can two walk together except they be agreed? You can't. You can't have one foot with God and one foot with the world. It can't work that way. You have to come to the place in your life where you realize that you have to get everything out of your life if you're going to let the Word of God change you. And most people will only go so far with that. You know, I deal with all my life, I've dealt with young men and young ladies too, but the majority of young men who really want to learn the Bible. And they're all famous, not all of them, but many of them, some of them are famous falling into this trap. You know, when it comes to learning the Bible, you have to stay with the established truth of the Word of God. Guys will come here and they'll say, I want to learn the Bible. And I'll always tell them, look, don't come here if you think you're going to come in with some grandioso idea about the Bible that you found over here and bring it in and, and change everything. You're coming here to learn the Word of God. And you know, I thought about this. I don't really, I know we got Bible Institute, we had people ministry yesterday, and we have Thursday night Bible study, and I use the phrase a lot of times about teaching you the Bible, but I thought about that. I really don't teach you the Bible if you want to put it in a fundamental way it is. We don't teach you the Bible here. What we do is show you how the Bible goes together. And once you get the Bible together, the Bible itself will teach you. That's the way it works. The words of the wise. And when it comes to learning the Bible, you have to start with established truth. You have to have a sure interpretation. You have to have, uh, Paul said over there in 2 Timothy 2, 2, he said, in the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, establish truth. The same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. The words of the wise. What is the words of the wise that he talks about? I'll tell you what it is. It's the unbroken chain of established 
truth that goes all the way back through the true church of Jesus Christ. I talked Thursday night and we were talking about some things and I took you back to Haggai chapter 2 verse 3 and I showed you what the real problem is today with the generation of young men and young ladies for the last two or three generations. And it is the fact that Haggai chapter 2 verse 3 says that they have no comparison of the real thing. You grow up in churches that are way out of whack. You hear preachers that are way out of whack and because you never heard the real thing. You think that's what it's supposed to be. I use the example of eating out of a garbage can all of your life. If your mom and dad, every, every time you had a meal, took you out to the neighbor's garbage can and that's all you ate and you never knew anything different, you would grow up thinking that depending on what particular day you went and who the neighbor, what they threw away, that was a great place to eat. One of the things that happened, you know, during the Crusades was uh, when, they, when the uh, Crusades, when the Crusaders come back, they realized that they had been told that, that the life that they lived, which was ter- terrible life, the life that they lived, they thought was the only life that was out there. They were told that, 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 that everybody else out there was terrible and what they had was the best and what they had was the worst. But when they went to the Crusades and they saw the other countries, and they saw silk, and they saw this, and they saw the great things here, they came back disillusioned because they realized that there was something that compared it to. And God's people today don't know what a real revival is. God's people today don't even know the definition of revival. God's people today don't know what a real church is. They don't know what real preaching is. The words of the wise will be an unbroken chain of established truth. And that's the problem today. And look at the last part of verse 17. And apply thine heart unto my knowledge. And I've said it many, many times. Without applying what you learn here, it's a waste of time. It doesn't do you any good to catalog verses, catalog principles, get your notebooks filled up with a thousand different verses and principles and stories and examples. Doesn't do you any good if you're not going to take those things and apply it. We've talked the last couple of weeks about being committed to change. And, you know, the fact that, uh, uh, you know, a, a commitment. Everybody wants to change, but the problem is they're not committed to change. And commitment will always be action. It'll be the application. It'll be you taking what you learn, and I want to change, so I'm going to apply it to myself, and I'm going to be committed. And that commitment will be action. You get committed to change yourself. That's an action. Your marriage, that's an action. Your family, that's an action. You get committed to learn the Bible, that's an action. You get a commitment to be able to uh, do, um, be all that God wants you to be, that's an action. You get, uh, you get committed to make the calling of God sure in your life, that's an action. Look at verse 18. For it is a pleasant thing if thou keep them within thee, and thou shalt where all be fitted uh, in thy lips. The word of God providing a pleasant life. For it is a pleasant thing if thou keep them within thee. My, my, what a novel idea. What a novel idea to have the pleasant life of God compared to the Christian life today that's filled with drama, filled with stress, filled with strife, filled with heartache filled with busted families, busted marriages, busted relationships, and all the issues that plague God's people. 
And you know, God's people just go through life putting a painted smile on their face like the clowns at the circus, you know, and they just endure life. But the Bible says that with the Word of God, you don't just endure life, and life is going to have its issues. But you're going to learn to enjoy the enduring, and even in that, it'll always be pleasant. You know, I know life can be hard. I mean, uh, uh, this is why some of God's people only go so far. And I've talked about that before. They'll come, they'll get into a church, they'll begin to grow, they'll get discipled, they'll get discipleship too. But someplace along the line, they're going to draw the line, and they're not going to go any farther. They're not going to go any farther because now they get to that point where they have to look inside themselves and be honest, and they really have to be able to be committed to change some things to go to the next level. And, we're, we, and most of God's people aren't there. I mean, God, uh, the Lord gave us the Bible so we could have a problem-free life to fulfill His calling. That's what He wanted. His desire was to walk with us through every, through our fellowship, through every valley, every issue, every heartache, the, everything that we had to go through, because He never wanted those things to cloud up and overwhelm us to the point that we lose sight of the calling. And that's exactly what we've done. We're saved, we're on our way to heaven, but the calling of God is the farthest thing from us. You know why? We got our lives so complicated. We got our lives so problematic. We got our lives so filled up with so much drama, so many issues. And where God gave us the word, of, and most of the time it's by our own doing. And God gave us a Bible to bring us through and give us everything that we needed that we could live that pleasant life that he's talking about. And what does the devil do? He'll take the things that we do because we don't follow the Bible and he'll compound the effect in our lives that it'll become so complicated that all of our lives will never get to the real issue that God saved us for and that was the calling that he has for you according to his purpose. But it all goes back to verse 17. Bowing down our ear to the words of the wise and then applying them. Look at the last part of verse 18. They shall be fitted in thy lips. Wow, what a great concept that is. God will take the word of God that you have hid in your heart. Psalms 119 verse 11. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And the principles that you have applied in your life. And he will hand fit the words that he wants you to say and give to you in every circumstance and situation you find yourself in. Let me tell you how that works. I, I, I don't know very much about computers. And, uh, and I, 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 I'm pretty, I still, ha I, I, you know, I just don't know very much about computers. For years and years and years, they tried to get me to work with a computer. I have one, but uh, I'm, I'm very basic with it. Very basic with it. As long as I can find all the science fiction and war movies on YouTube, that's about as far as I'm going to go with it. But I remember one time I had a gal that was in my church, and she was a computer bug. This is like 25 years ago. And she brought in a, comp a laptop. And back then, the laptops were huge. You know, look like a top of a... And she brought in a laptop to me, and she says, I just want you to play with this because I want to teach you how to use a computer. Well, I remember. I opened it up, called her on the phone. How, how do you turn it on? Right there. Okay, I got it on. The screen came up. And she said, just type in something that you want to know about. So I did. I don't remember what. Well, I typed it in. And it was like, wow. 
it was like the screen blinked off two or three times and, and all of a sudden, floating up on the screen was everything I ever wanted to know about that subject. And I said to myself, that's quite incredible. So I typed something else in. Why would it come up again? Years later, I thought about that. I know, you know, somebody obviously programmed all that stuff into wherever they program it so you can access it with the computer. And I thought to myself, boy, that's exactly, it's exactly what God does or wants to do with us with the Word of God. He wants you to take the principles of the Word of God and program your heart with it. He wants you to hide that Word in your heart. He wants you to program your life around that book. And then when you've got an issue that comes up in your life, all you've got to do is just type in what that issue is. And guess what? Just like on the screen. You liking this, Cal? It's going to get better here. Right. Just like on that screen, in your own mind, in your own heart, all those principles float up. That's how you make your decision. That's how you live your life. For some reason, and I, I, I kind of understand why, we want to make the Christian life so complicated. We want to make our relationship with God so distant and so hard and so far from it that, that we, we never get there. Uh, the Bible says that, that God is going, we're all going to stand before God someday and we're going to give an account of the judgment seat of Christ if we're saved. And he's going to judge us and hold us accountable with the book that he gave us. Do you actually think that he's going to make that book so hard that we can never figure it out? And then he's going to hold us accountable for a book that you had to have a college degree to figure it out? No, 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 no. One time when, when Wycliffe uh, was getting ready to put out his English translation, he was standing before a bunch, of, uh, a bunch of theologians, and they were kind of against what he was doing. And he looked out the window, and he saw a plowboy in the field, plowing the fields. And he looked over to those guys, and he said, Gentlemen, someday that plowboy will know the Word of God better than all the great minds in England. And that came true when God gave you the King James 1611 authorized version written in fourth grade language. Did you not all enjoy the fourth grade? <laughs> fourth grade language. Eighty-five percent of the words outside the names are one-syllable words. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. What's hard about that? They shall be fitted in thy lips. Proverbs 16.1 says, The preparation of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. You put the Word of God into principles and program your life like that girl programmed that computer, and when you have an issue in life and hit the right buttons, God will take the principles and fit them to your lips to give them exactly what they need to hear. You prepare your heart with the words of the wise, by bowing down and applying it, God hand fits the words to your mouth. It's just that simple. Now look at verse 19. Now boy, this is another powerful principle. That thy trust may be in the Lord. I have made known to thee this day, even to thee. Now what a great principle. You know what he's saying here? He's saying that our trust in the Lord, your trust, day by day, walking by faith and not by sight. 
Your faith in walking with God and your trust in Him. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding and all thy ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your path. That trust. What a great principle. It says that our trust in the Lord, it won't be based on your IQ. It won't be based on where you went to school. It won't be based on the Greek or the Hebrew or some unknown language that nobody speaks anymore. It says that the uh, trust in the Lord will be based on the things that God has made known to us through our study, His Word. The things God's given you. Now, you'll look around here, some of you folks, and you'll find that the majority of our people, not everybody, but the majority of them have a what we call a wide margin. Yesterday in, in people ministry, we're in Jeremiah, and we got into Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 18. I walked them through. Probably, without a doubt, probably, and I think those of there would agree with this, probably the greatest passage anywhere in the Bible that shows you the condition of the church and the way it is being drifted. Absolutely incredible what is being done in churches with the Bible to destroy people. Unbelievable. And he says in Jeremiah 23, verse 18, where verse we started yesterday, For who hath stood in the counsel of the Lord, and hath perceived and heard his word, and hath marked his word? You see, it's one thing to be in the counsel of the Lord, get the right counsel. But then you have to perceive it. And once you perceive it, and you understand what you have, then you hear it. Once you hear it, then you mark it. You say, that's a principle I need. Hmm, I need that. And you're, I, I said this, and I know this is not true, but it could be. I mean, it would work well, I would think. At the judgment seat of Christ, when we all stand before God, if God really wanted to find out where we were all at with that book, he, and I know we all got our pat answers, and I know, I've taught it, I know many, many times, I know how it's probably going to go. But you know, if he wanted to, all he would have to do is have you walk up with your Bible and say, let me look at it and see the note that you marked in it. It's a good thing that we're in eternity because if he got some of people's Bibles, it'd take him that long to get through all the notes. Others, he'd just flip through it and give it back. You see, it comes to the fact when you have the counsel of the Lord and you perceive what it is, the Word of God, not the Word of men, then you hear it, and when you hear it, you mark it. What a great principle. My trust in the Lord isn't based on anything other than the things that He has revealed to me. And my personal relationship with Him that shows me I can trust Him. Boy, don't that ever put a, put a, a lot of answers to a lot of issues in life. Notes in your Bible, the books and the principles. And I want you to see there, He says, read it again, that, thou, that thy trust may be in the Lord, I have made known to thee this day, Look what he says at the end, even to thee. That's a personal comment to you. I, I, I joke with people all the time. I'm kind of joking. I always say to them when it comes to the Bible, I feel really sorry for you that when God wrote the Bible, he really didn't write it to you. 
They wrote it to me. I tell people all the time, I said, I'm really sorry that when Christ died on the cross, he didn't really die for you, he died for me. When he was hanging on the cross, he had my names on his lips. I wish your name would have been on it, but it wasn't. Mine was. And when he, when the holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit and God was giving the revelation to God, he had one person in his mind that he was writing that book to. And it wasn't you. It was me. Why are you all so somber like I'm, like this is some new. My point is this. Every one of you ought to claim that same argument. You ought to be standing up right now saying, you're wrong, Bob. You know what? He wrote it to me. And then you ought to stand up and say, he wrote it to me. And you said no and knock her on the floor and say, no, he wrote it to me. You stand up. You stand up. And him, sit down. You stand up and him. You stand up to her. You stand up to her. Bubba, you stand up to her. She'll slap you and you'll say, you're right, honey. He wrote it to you. I know how it works. Did you call Dr. Boyer yet? If I have to make the appointment and come and get you and take you over. Can't lose you, Bubba. Got to have you around forever. But he didn't write the Bible to you. He wrote it to me. Uh, you know, you know what fun we can have with that? Truth of the matter is, bottom line is, he wrote it to all of us. But he says, even to thee. How personal do you take that book to you? Do you actually in your mind think he just wrote it to everybody and you just happen to fall into the category? Or in your mind, do you have that personal relationship with him that you really believe he wrote it to you? No, I believe he wrote it to you. I'll tell you this, just to make myself out of the hole I've dug myself in. I believe he wrote it to you more than a lot of you believe he wrote it to you. That was good, wasn't it? It was. Even to thee. He wrote it to you. You. When he hung on the cross and he died, he had your name on his lips. He thought of you. When he wrote the word of God, he wrote it so you would have what you needed to have a great life, free of all the drama, free of all the heartache, busted relationships, and all that goes along with it. He wrote it to you. And I'm telling you something. Wherever you're at, whatever you're dealing with, whatever mess you're in, he still wrote it to you and you can start today to claim what he wrote to you. Some of us just got a head start on you. Doesn't mean you can't catch up and beat us. I mean, I've been studying the Word of God for 47 years and got a good start on, on, on all of you, but there's some of you here that have caught up with me with it. I like that. I mean, that's just the way it's supposed to be. Fitted to thy lips. And the things that we have, even to thee, the personal aspect of the Word of God. Then look at verse 20. This really goes along with 19. Have I not written to thee excellent things and counsels and knowledge? Oh, yes, you have. You betcha you have, Lord. Excellent things. Excellent things in counsel. Excellent things in knowledge. Counsel and knowledge. Counsel is what God gives you when you've got a decision to make. Knowledge is the principles that you have to make the right decision when he gives you the counsel. Don't ask me to say that again because I just made that up and I don't think I could do it. Today, we as God's people live, as I said earlier, in one of the most confusing times in history. We really do. I have never seen a God's people in a more confused, dazed state. 
Yet God has provided for us some excellent things. Excellent things. And has given us counsel and knowledge to live our life by, to clearly see our way. And yet the mindset of Christianity today is much like the nation of Israel right before they went into their captivity. He said one time back in Hosea chapter 8, verse 12, and I've looked at this verse and I thought, my, 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 isn't that so true? He says, I have written to him, Israel, the great things of my law, but they were counted as a strange thing. Israel got to the place in their life that the very most powerful things that God had given them that they held for hundreds of years now was a strange thing. And without a doubt, it's no, no great mystery that the door of revelation of God's word to man today, for the most part, has been shut, Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. So you have the contrast between the church of the open door Philadelphia and the church of the closed door, Laodicea. And the great doctrines and teaching of the Bible that were standard, they were established truth for what? 2,000 years of Christianity have now been cast aside. Just 120, 30, 40 years ago. That's not that long. The things that were taught by John Darby. Anybody know who John Darby was? He's called the father of modern dispensationalism. Oh, we all know who Clarence Larkin is because we have his books back there. How about Dean Bergen? How about Dean Bergen who took a stand on a Texas receptor? This idea propagated by these goofy Baptist churches are the ones that have took Baptist off their name. That the King James Bible is not the King James Bible anymore because we found some new truth now that says, you're out of your mind. Dean Bergen in 1880 did the work on the Greek text. Nobody's ever refuted it. Nobody's ever challenged it. But the great things, the excellent things, Counted as strange things. Robert Dick Wilson. Whoa. What an incredible uh, guy. Professor of Semitic languages at Princeton Theological Seminary. He knew 45 languages. Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. But every language that the Bible was written in up to 900 A.D. And he wrote the greatest work on the authority of the Word of God of where it was that you ever saw in 1880. Right at the same time that Westcott and Hort were doing their damage to it. Who knows anything about him today? David Gregory. I had a guy a couple of weeks ago challenged on Bible study night about the 7,000 year deal, you know, and he, he's obviously not a dispensationalist. And uh, he wrote this great thing, sent it to me. And, you know, the greatest, I've told you that the greatest two things that God ever created was coffee and a delete button on your computer. <laughs> and this guy went on and on and on. He wore me out. I thought to myself, he never heard of David Gregory, who was the math professor at Oxford in 1710. He never heard of George Wilson in 1887 who did a work on the seven-day concept of a thousand years that went over a thousand fifty-five pages, that went 685,000 words, and in all these years, nobody's even challenged it. He never read anything about that. 
These are the men who established truth. These are the men who brought from the 1800s into the 20th century. They're responsible for bringing what is lost today. They brought the Bible to us. They brought it through them and a hundred and other guys maybe. 120 years ago, 150 years ago, everybody that was a Christian believed these things. Everybody believed in the 7,000 years of creation. Everybody believed the King James Bible. Everybody believed the rapture. Everybody believed the premillennial. Everybody believed the fall of Satan. Everybody believed all of these things. Now, in just 120 short years, we've taken those great, excellent things that are the foundation of the Bible. Now they're strange to us. Now you have idiotic Baptist preachers that get up in their pulpit and say there's no rapture. And the only people dumber than them are the people that are listening to them. And they say, Amen. You got to give it up and they say, Well, we, you know, the millennium now is a spiritual thing. Or it's a, uh, we don't believe the King James Bible anymore. We, the great things, the excellent things. And just 130, 40 short years have now become strange things. Our government's the same way. 150, 60 years ago, our government embraced the concept of God and everything about God when they, when they started to put the, the uh, Constitution and the Declaration of Independence together. When Thomas Jefferson brought the first draft, they said, no, there's not enough references to God. Put more in. We can never forget as a nation what God has done for us. Well, we've come a long way, baby. Every time the Congress or the Senate now starts their session, they will have a, a clergyman. They will have a reverend. And I remember guys that I knew that were big-time preachers. They would get an invitation through their senator or congress. They thought it was the greatest thing in the world. I'm going to get to go before Congress and open the session in prayer. I'm going to get to go before the Senate and pray for them. Yeah, right up to the point where they got a letter saying, you have to submit your prayer to us first. We have to approve what you're saying, and under no circumstances in your prayer can you make a reference to Jesus Christ. What do you got to pray about? You know what I do? I'd agree to it, and then I'd blow them out of the water when I got there. I'd be in jail. I'd do it. And then I'd preach my message from letter from hell. I'd do it. Jesus would be proud. In 1952, President Truman back then said, do we ever have a national day of prayer? And they did. 1988, President Reagan established the first day of prayer in the first something in May. In June 2007, Obama made the statement that America is no longer a Christian nation. It's on tape. In 2008, he canceled the National Day of Prayer. He didn't want to offend anybody. But in 2009, on September 25th, he opened up the White House to all the Muslims and they had a National Day of Prayer at the White House for 47. The great things that made this country great are now strange things in this country. 
And don't you be too hard on the government. Don't be hard on them at all, because I'm going to tell you something. The things that God wrote to you as a Christian and gave to the Christian church, which were fundamental established truth, is strange today. And we wonder why we got the problems we got. You ought to read the book. We probably got it in the bookstore back here by Dr. Ruckman, The Death of Biblical Doctrine. You know, I've been in the ministry 47 plus years. And, and I will tell you this. I made a lot of stupid mistakes. I'll be the first one to tell you. But I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this. In 47 plus years of my ministry, I never changed one thing that I ever believed or ever preached. Some of you have been with me. Penny's been with me for 120 years. <laughs> Looks good for your age, Penny. And she was 40 when I met her. You can go back, some of them's got them, John's probably got them, some of you older got them. You can go back to 1976, 1980, find some of my stuff on cassette, if you can find a cassette player. And you know what? I haven't changed one thing that I believe. I haven't changed one thing that I taught. You know why that is? Because truth is truth, and it never changes. We change when we don't believe the truth anymore. And I've stayed with it for one reason. It's established truth. With a record going right back to where they're first called Christians at Antioch. The words of the wise. See, I have a comparison of what's real versus what's phony. The excellent things of the counsel and the knowledge that will work for you. That will never change. And we live in a Christianity because the world is changing. We think we need to change Christianity to go along with it. You realize that Jesus... Never changed one thing that he ever believed to reach somebody. He never met somebody that didn't believe what he said and said, well, let me, let me rephrase that. Did he? Did he ever find some scribe or Pharisee that was against who he was and he said, well, you know what? Okay, we can agree to disagree. Did he? He said, it's my way or the highway. Truth is truth. Take it or leave it. That doesn't mean you don't have to, you can't be nice about it, but you've got to stand for it. I mean, I met one of the biggest guys in my life who was a Christian, and, and he was, looked like he was a mean guy. And, he, and, we was, and I asked him, I said, man, I said, you know, are, are you, are you, are you, is there any tender side to you? And he says, there sure is, Bob. And then I saw how tender he was. He says, if any guy ever broke in my house and I had to shoot him, when he's laying on the floor while the cops were on their way, I'd get down there and try to win him to Christ. I believe it. Not my style of soul winning, but I understand where you're coming from. <laughs> but it's established truth, the excellent things of counsel, to give you a sure reward, a sure foundation, a sure interpretation, a sure calling, based on a more sure word of prophecy. Look at verse 21. That I might make thee know the certainty of the words of truth that thou mightest answer the words of truth to them that send unto thee. Now, the first thing I want you to see in verse 21, and this is a pretty powerful thing, that I might make thee to know. You know what? None of us, the first time we ever found God or met God or got a hold of the Bible, none of us loved it. We all fought it. I remember the first time I went to church, I thought to myself, I'm sitting in the back because those crazy Baptists aren't getting me down front. 
And I know a lot of you came to this church the first time. You were skeptical. We were a Baptist church. We Baptists never been. You thought we were like the group over there in Topeka. We're not. Uh, you know, the first time you met God, you probably didn't care about him. Maybe you don't care about him now. And the first time somebody gave you a Bible and you came there, you said, wow, that's really great. But you know what? I got so much going on. I don't know if I can really commit that much to learn the Bible that way. Look at you now. What a fool you are. What a fool I am. You know what God did? God played the greatest, dirtiest trick on you he could ever play on mankind. You know what he did? He made you do it. He made you do it. He put things in your life that you couldn't handle. He put things and circumstances in your life that was out of your control. And he made us come to that book. And you know what happened somewhere along the process? Praise God, glory to God. He doesn't have to make you anymore. Come now because you want to. You perceive and you hear and you mark it. Wow. That I might make thee know the certainty of the words of truth. Well, I guess that answers the question of all the new translations of the Bible that all say something different. No certainty in that. Now listen to me. As a Christian, you can know with a certainty, with an absolute certainty, what truth is. We live in a world where there is no certainty and there is no truth. Yet God has provided for us an absolute standard of truth. A sure word in an unsure world. But I'm going to tell you, and I'm just telling you. Peter will hate you for it. I've learned something over the years. People who are not sure of anything will always have an issue with those who are sure about everything. And I'm just telling you. If you're going to move on in this thing and become all that, you better learn these things. You live in a world of neo-evangelicalism that says and puts out and it is spread everywhere that there's no absolute truth. And, and we get it all the time. You know, we're a cult. Really? Guy said, I think you're a cult. What do you think of that? I said, I think you're an idiot. What do you think of that? <laughs> he didn't even know what a cult was. He didn't know what we believed. Well, you think you're, you hear it all the time. Well, you think your church is the only one that's doing right. Of course, that's not true. That's not true at all. What we believe and we have here, uh, you know, we, we, uh, we put, we, we just stand on what we believe. Of course, that's not true. And I, I tell them, and they say, well, you think your church is the only one. I said, no, 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 that is not true. We, you misunderstood. We're just better to the, at, than the circus that you're going to. Well, Bob thinks he knows more about the Bible than anybody else. That is so not true. You need to quit talking to Barb Christie. That is so not true. There are plenty of people around who know it a lot better than I do. You could feel volumes of what I don't know about the Bible. I've never said that. I've never claimed that. All I ever said, little man, is that I know it better than you. Anytime, anywhere, any place, on any day. That's all. Honestly. You know why people won't like you? 
why people won't like me. And you're nice people. I mean, I know we get our idiots here, but we have a special church we send all them to. Honestly. You know why people don't like you? Won't like me? And I'm a nice guy. Where do you find nicer people than you? Come on. You've never hurt anybody. I've never hurt anybody. You try to help people. Why, you, your lives are filled this week with spending time with people, teaching them the Word of God. You don't hurt anybody. But you know what the real issue is? You and I have some excellent things from God that you're 100% certain of. And they don't have it. And people will always not appreciate people who have a certainty about life. You know it's true. You'll have a sister. You'll have a brother-in-law. You'll have a brother. You'll have a family member that they think they know everything. And you have no opinion whatsoever. I ain't going there. You have no opinion whatsoever. <laughs> and you know what? And, and, and they'll say, and you'll say something that is true, and they'll say, that's not true. And, and, and you know it, it's true. And, it, and then if you ever, you need to learn to stop right there. Just let it go. Because a prophet hath no honor in his own country. You're not going to get anywhere. But if you want to really get into it, then you take them and show them where it's really true and show them. You know what happened? Now they're mad at you. Why are you mad at me because I'm right and you're wrong? Because people don't like people who know for certain when they don't know for certain. And they don't appreciate you showing them what's certain when they don't want to believe what's certain. That's just a fact of life. And I'm telling you. You and I have some excellent things from God that we're 100% sure of. You see, I know what Dean Bergen taught. I know what Dick Wilson laid out. I know what Clarence Larkin believed. I know what George Wilson. I know what these guys laid out. I understand it. I am sure. I am certain before I speak. I have my Bible, the certainty of the words of truth, and I have a comparison. I lived through those times. I watched Christianity turn its back on the greatest book the world has ever seen. And it's not that we're better than anybody else. It's not that we're smarter than anybody else. It's not that we think that we're better than anybody else. It's not that I think I know the Bible better than anybody, or you think you know the Bible better, or that our church is better. It's not that at all. It's a simple little proverb. In the land of the blind... A one-eyed man is king. You're blind and I got one eye. <laughs> we adopted a little border collie. Or the border collie adopted us about three years ago on Thanksgiving Day. And she's the sweetest little thing on the planet. But she's got one eye. So the vet said that she thought when she was a baby puppy that they got frightened and it she lost her eye. And uh, uh, she's a beautiful dog. I can't imagine what she would be like if she had two brown eyes that are just one. The vet wanted to get one of those contacts, false eyes, and put it in there to make it look real. But for $16,000, I didn't think it was worth doing that. 
That dog with one eye, she's better than my other two dogs with two eyes. I ain't kidding you. I'll take Buddy, my big male lab, and there'll be cats and dogs running up and down the street. Yeah, I don't care. He's looking around. Yawning. Does his business. Come back in. I take Daisy out. Daisy's so spastic. That's a little female lab. Yeah, we got 20 dogs at our house. Come on over. I take the Daisy, a little blonde lab out. She's so hyper, she just run around looking. She's smelling everything. She's smelling so much, she's missing what's going on around her. And she just runs out, does her business, and runs back in. I take Izzy out. That's the border collie. One-eyed Izzy. <laughs> Mind me a girl I dated in school. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> she, she's got one eye. And I and I and I and I take her out at night. And I took her out, oh, a couple about a week and a half ago. And, and I live, there's three houses down to the end of the block. So I'm about 150 yards maybe for the end. And across the street. And I'm standing down there and all of a sudden, she is on point. It's dark. It's 10 o'clock. And under the street light, I see this raccoon going across the deal. She saw it. I never saw it. And a vet told me one time, he says, usually one-eyed dogs that have one eye. (laughs) (laughs) Master of the obvious. It's like anybody. You 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 lose one ear or an arm and you have to compensate with the other one. And so he says that dogs that lose an eye through the process of time, they, they, the other eye becomes more useful to them in many cases more than a dog with two eyes because that one eye is all they've got. And I, I, I believe that. I mean, I, she never told me that, but I believe that just by how she is and what she can see. My point is this. We're all sinners. Did you ever not notice over there in Matthew we talked about a couple of weeks ago when it talked about the light of the eye? It didn't say eyes. It said if the light to be in thee be light, I, I, is single. You know why? Because we're all sinners and we're all in a world where we're all blinded in one eye. The problem is that God's people in Christianity are totally blind when it comes to the word of God. But in the land of the blind, a one-eyed man is king because you can see more with that one eye once you put that eye into the Word of God than anybody can see with two eyes that can't see the Word of God. That's how it works. I mean, it isn't hard. And I'm not even an optician, whatever they are. That's not a guy that delivers babies, is it? It is. I'm sorry. What do you call the guy with the eye doctor? Optometrist. That's right. Oh, boy. Is there any way to mute some of this stuff on the tape that's going out? (laughs) Look at the last part of verse 21. That thou mightest answer the words of truth to them that send unto thee. Now, Now, here's the bottom line, and here's the real reason for all of this in verses 17 through 20. Getting through the calling of God in your life, in my life, through a sure word of God, getting the book down, 
a book that is the words of the wise, a book with excellent things in it, a book that is pleasant to keep you and your family and your life, a book that you can trust because it's a book with a certainty of the words of truth in a world where there is no truth. And there are people out there today, I want to tell you something. There are people out there today who need and want and are looking for the truth. I don't care how black it is. I don't care how bad. I know I paint Christianity in a mess, and it is in a mess. But I'm also going to tell you, in the middle of that mess, there are people who still want the truth. And you're going to run into them. God is going to prepare your heart, prepare their heart, and put you together. There are going to be people that you work with that are struggling, that are hurting, that the moment they see the truth, they'll say, that's it. There'll be people who are wandering from place to place and church to church that can't find any relevance of truth. And the moment they meet you, they're going to see in your life a commitment to change. That's all it's going to take. And not only do they want it, not only do they need it, not only are they looking for it, but when they get it, they'll do something with it. Now, out of this passage are ten great principles about you and the Word of God. And I want to leave you with this. Ten reasons why scholars, why Christians, why the church, why the world hates the Word of God. Because it's the final authority. Ten reasons why they all hate it and ten reasons why you and I ought to love it. First of all, the words, the words, the words of the Bible. John 14, 23, if any man love me, he'll keep my words. It isn't about the fundamentals. The Bible isn't teaching the fundamentals. It isn't, it's the written words to you. Verse 19, even to thee, it's personal. The words of the Bible, not the message, not the fundamentals, not some abstract teaching. He wrote the words to you, every one of them. Second thing, these words are given by God himself, and they are the absolute final authority. Somebody said one time, if you took all the literature that had been written in the history of man when he began to write things down, they said you could put it in a, in a square that would cover uh, the state of Nebraska, and then he says you could pack it on top of that and it would reach out past the moon, which is 250,000 miles. That is the amount of books and literature and pamphlets and paper and things that are put out by man since man began to find a big pen. And you know what? If we could get all of that writing, if we could get all of those books and we could actually put them in that pile and it would go out past the moon, I want, to, I want you to know something. We could judge every one of those books written by one book. This one, the words of the wise, the infallible words of God. These words that God gave to us himself as an absolute final authority. The third thing, these words are here for me to have today. They're not some manuscripts or some originals or some mystical book that you've got to study two dead languages for 40 years to figure out. He brought the word of God supernaturally right to where you're at. He put it in a fourth grade English that everybody could understand it. He made it come through what Whitcliffe said, that someday that plowboy would know more than all the Bible or all the scholars in England. You have that, even to thee. Oh, here's the frying pan. Whew, here it comes, number four. 
These written words are revealed to some people to the exclusion of other people. And God won't give it to everybody. He won't give it to everybody because the base of you getting is your attitude of heart and how you humble yourself and how you bring yourself bow down before him. The fifth one. God himself is the author of these words. He wrote it to you. The sixth one, these words are revealed so the believer can have absolute confidence in God and the calling that God has given him. There is no doubt in my mind what God has called me to do with my life. I've made a lot of mistakes in life, done a lot of stupid things, as we all have. But at the end of the day, I can stand before you today know that I know exactly what the calling in my life is because God gave me a sure word that gave me a sure interpretation, that gave me a sure calling through a sure word of prophecy. The seventh thing. The believer is given these words, so when asked upon, he can speak with a certainty of authority that what he's saying is right no matter what somebody thinks about it. 1 Peter 3.15, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is within you with meekness and fear. The eighth thing. These words will give the believer a perfect trust. Boy, we need that today. We live in a world where you can't trust anything. What you believe today will change tomorrow. There has to be some absolute standard. I, I don't understand, especially God's people, why they cannot see that. We live in a world that completely changes almost day by day. We can see the changes year by year. And yet we as Christians are willing to see that, understand that, and then we're willing to accept the Bible that changes every other year. I, I, don't, I don't get it. The reason why we don't have a perfect trust in God is because we don't have a perfect book to get that perfect trust to us. The ninth thing. These words will affect your heart and change everything about you for the better. These words will affect your heart. It will change everything about you if you apply them. The tenth thing. But the believing ear must first humble himself that he has the greatest book the world has ever seen. And if he doesn't, he'll never get a thing from it, nor will he learn it. Wow, as you can see, this is one of the most powerful passages found. This is why I love it. This is why I like this one, like the one in Psalm or Proverbs 2. Now you can see why well, people will be, be at odds with that book. Now you can see why people will be at odds with this book and they and any church that follows it, any Christian that loves it and applies it, anybody who believes it to be the infallible, inspired, perfect Word of God, our final authority over all things in faith and practice, you will find out and see how quickly people are against the very Word of God that God has given you. Proverbs and places like this will sure put the Christian world into a perfect context for you. It'll show you where we're really at. But it'll also show you where we're going to stay. 
because there'll never be a greater time in the history of the world to be a lighthouse for God. Even though it may be a rear guard action, till the Lord comes back, we will hold the ground and we'll keep putting the word out and ask God to send us every young man and every young woman who wants to get in the trenches with us and hold the line till the Lord comes back. Let's hold up there and we'll...